this is much more proverbial than the first four chapters. I mean, there's there's really a lot here to consider, but the the problem is some of this doesn't really translate really well, and <clears throat> and so it, it's. But tonight we're, I want to look at verse three because Larry said that's where we left off, uh, but he's right. But anyway, a three, four, and maybe even get through to seven. Um, What are we going to do with that, huh? Okay, uh, everybody's amazed. So, <clears throat> chapter, th- uh, verse 3, excuse me, it says, For a dream comes through much activity. So, um, the dream that he's talking about here is not, not so much, it's really not talking about what you do when you sleep, and, or some type of a revelation or, or, or a message from God, but it's, it's really more referring to that when you have these goals and you have these wants. Like Jeff had a dream that he was going to move into this house and, you know, uh, and then it looked like it wasn't going to happen and then it did. And, but really it's not even so much like that uh, in the context, Right? Because you basically knew that you had to wait it out, right? And it was either yes or, okay, there you go. No. A hope. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that's somewhat of the context of the dream, Jeff, right? Because you are kind of looking into the future. But it's, uh, this is, well, I'll give you an example. And he'll never listen to this, so I can tell you. We know a young man who has all kinds of dreams. And one of these days, he's going to buy one of those old deserted airports, and that's going to be, I don't, don't ask me why. Um, among other things. Now, of course, I don't know if he goes to work every day or not. I haven't figured that part out yet. Um, Supposedly, he makes all this money, but he never has any money, right? And she pays all the bills, right? And I'm like, kick him to the curb. Anyway, now. um, So anyway, he's, matter of fact, Mary said he's a dreamer. Yes, he is. Um, So the problem with being that type of a dreamer is that you constantly have to do a verbal hustle to explain why your your ship has not come in yet, right? And 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 we, we got plenty of that too. Um, not to mention he tried to give me an economics one oh one lesson and tell me how college isn't important and I then I had the opportunity to let him know that I have a doctorate. But uh, um, but and, and I think that's part of what this is talking about, where you have these people who have these these great aspirations. That's the word, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that, that is and it's not, you know, you know, because, you know, that's a crapshoot, right? And, and, of course, 
maybe this guy might have a better chance of winning the lottery than he, I don't know. But, um, but that's the thing is, and that's the activity this is talking about. It says, for a dream comes through much activity. Uh, that first part of chapter, or verse 3, um, verse 5, cha- sorry, chapter 5, verse 3. I'm getting my chapters and verse mixed up. Cindy, you have an ESV. What does that say, that first part of verse 3? Much business. Uh, NIV? Many cares. Okay. What version? Do you, oh, you have the New American Standard. Okay. Yeah, dream comes with many, with much effort, much effort. And, and then it, um, it talks about a fool's voice is known by his many words. Now, there's a saying that I'm not going to repeat, but I know that almost all of us were either military spouses or in the military. When you let your mouth overload your, okay, you've heard it. You're from New York. You heard all this. <laughs> anyway, so, um, and, and the, you, Bill has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> you don't need to tell him. No, I'm kidding. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's all kind. We're, we're going to look at some of those tonight. We'll, uh, James is what we're, you're talking about. So, but grab the context here also in, 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 uh, in Ecclesiastes 5 because we don't want to go too far from what uh, is really being contextualized here because you have a guy who's a dreamer, but then... All of a sudden, in verse 4, he starts talking about making a vow. Now, have you ever met someone who said, when I do this, then I'm going to give God a portion of it? Of course. Yeah. There's a story of a farmer, and um, he had one dairy cow. He's a poor farmer. And the, farm, uh, the cow got pregnant, and the cow actually had two calves. And the farmer came in and told his wife, he's all excited, and he says, I'm going to give one of the calves to the Lord. And she goes, well, really, which one? He goes, well, I'm not really sure yet. Let's just kind of wait and see how it all plays out, right? So as time goes on, one of the calves gets sick, and, and, and so he's out in the uh, barn trying to care for this calf. And next thing you know, uh, next thing the wife knew, the farmer comes barreling in the house, says, bad news, honey, the Lord's calf just died. So, you know, um, that, that's kind of what this is referring to. So you have the dreamer who, who has all these aspirations and has to really run the mouth to be able to substantiate it because there's no movement really happening. But then he starts getting God involved, right? The... I have a couple of different phrases for this, but one of them is when you spiritualize your nonsense. When you spiritualize your nonsense. Uh, you, you can add to that any way you would like to. Um, but, you know, it's... Or, or another way I, I put this is when you baptize your foolishness. And... and I, I think it's the, the time that we live in because I feel like we see more of this. It's just my opinion. Your mileage may vary. Of course, I got in trouble for that. But anyway, uh, I don't care. Your mileage may vary. So let it, let it roll. Um, 
But uh, so when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. It says, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Uh, Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For the multitude of dreams, so here we go, we're tying this together. For the multitude of dreams and the many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. So, um, actually, if Brian had seen this in verse 7, he wouldn't have had to turn all the way, all the way to the back of the book to be able to, you know, because you do have this, all is vanity, but fear God. So it, it's tying in this idea of, of someone who makes it, who is a dreamer. Um, and I also I think of that, that saying, it's better to be thought a fool and to remain silent than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt, right? And and so these are this is kind of what this is touching on. Um, so the 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 problem is 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 there's not a lot of precedent for this word usage in the Old Testament. Yeah, nonetheless, it really does seem like that would be the best interpretation of this particular passage. So um, we have cases in the Bible where these things uh, occur. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, 1 Samuel 14, um, probably nobody's favorite king of Israel, and that would be who? There you go. Saul, who was the king of Israel, and he'd already, he was already experiencing uh, difficulty, let's say. That's a nice way to put it. And they're constantly being harassed by the Philistines. And in the first part of, of chapter 14, it says that uh, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. And he goes over there, and if you remember the story, he challenges the Philistines, and he says to his armor bearer, if they, uh, um, if they tell him to come up here, then they were to charge up there and go, because that would, that would be a sign that God was with them. So obviously he had prayed about this, and if they basically blew him off, then they would realize that, that God was not in this. And so the, the story... As the story goes, uh, Saul, or Jonathan and his armor bearers start taking on the Philistines, and it encourages everybody in Israel. Now, how this word got out so quick, I'm not so sure how this all unfolded. But there were the sons of Ephraim who were actually in hiding because of the Philistines, and they come out of hiding, and uh, the rest of Israel joins in, and they rout the Philistines that day. So, um, and I... Sh- I'm going to have to find it because I I, uh, I forgot to include the, the actual verse in my notes. So Saul, for some reason, I'm, fine, I'm getting close. Saul, for some reason, all of a sudden starts to feel his oats. 
and and uh, he starts to get. Um, I'm almost there. There. Verse 24. It says, the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, cursed is every man who eats of any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. And none of the people tasted food. All right? So they're in the thick of a hand-to-hand type of combat. And, you know, (coughs) even in those situations, you get your drink and your food wherever you can get it. But Saul, and, and to me, this was a really foolish thing that he was doing. And, and I, th- I think, like I said, he was feeling his oats, so to speak, and, and um, kind of got this sense of spiritual pride. So he puts everybody under an oath and says, curses anyone who eats until, until evening, until I've been avenged of my enemies. Well, the problem is, is that Jonathan is in another location having this battle with the Philistines he does not hear. He does not hear this oath that, that Saul had placed Israel under. And in his battle, he finds a honeycomb. Well, he's tired because he's been killing Philistines. So he tastes the honey. And it says his eyes were enlightened. His eyes were brightened. In other words, he, he got some energy back. And he further goes on into the battle. Um, well, the problem was, was God took that oath seriously. And so... Um, Jonathan says in verse 29, my father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I have tasted a little honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of the enemies which they had found. For now there would have been much greater slaughter among the Philistines. He's asking the question, which to me makes a lot of sense. Of course, if you're, if you're expending a lot of energy, it's good to what? Eat, right? And so... Um, As we move on on this story, um, Saul asked counsel of God in verse 37, shall I go down now to the Philistines and will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? And he did not answer him that day. So Saul said, uh, come over, O you chiefs of the people, and know that we've, we have seen sin this day. So he's inquiring of God, finally, by the way. He's inquires of God, and God doesn't answer, so he thinks there's got to be a problem. And then, so they ascertained that there was somebody had sinned. Um, and so, interestingly enough, they separate Israel. They cast lots is what they essentially do. They separate Israel from Saul and from Jonathan. I know some of you are kind of reading ahead uh, on this one. That's fine. And the lot falls on Saul and Jonathan. So they cast a lot between Saul and Jonathan, and the lot falls on Jonathan. So Saul um, says, and so Saul says to Jonathan, verse 43, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. Now I must die. And Saul answered, God, do so and more also, for you shall surely die at Jonathan. Now he's talking to whom? His own son. And because he made a stupid vow. He made a stupid vow. Um, But the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who had accomplished this great deliverance of Israel? Certainly not. Because, again, it was because of 
Jonathan and the armor bearers stepping out on faith that they routed the Philistines that rallied the rest of Israel uh, to have this incredible uh, military victory that day to begin with. And so the people of Israel intervened, and uh, as the Lord lives, not one head of hair shall be fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. And, you know, so, of course, though, so here is Saul making a vow, and then he can't fulfill it. Uh, although it was a stupid vow, they, A, shouldn't have made to begin with, and he shouldn't have had to fulfill it to, to be uh, second of all. So, but this is an example of, I have to think there was some type of dreaming, some sense of grandeur going on in Saul's mind. Well, we're routing the Philistines, so I'm going to make, every, nobody can eat, so we can, fur, you know, almost like turning, he's spiritualizing it. Because when you don't eat, what is that called spiritually? Fasting. Fasting. Is there a time to fast? I think there is. In the midst of the battle? Probably not. Okay. So he's spiritualizing something. So he's baptizing his own foolishness. Right? And it almost cost him. And he, was, he would have been willing to fulfill this. It would have cost him his son's life. Um, so I think that's an interesting story that, that really... Um, ties into this um, because David, the heart of Jonathan, the heart of David were knit together. And so Jonathan was a good friend of Solomon's father who died way before Solomon was ever born, but uh, nonetheless uh, probably had heard stories of Jonathan. And, and so other passages that, that kind of address this in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. It says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So, again, that, it, that might be a, a step or a half a step or a step and a half away from the context of Ecclesiastes 5, but I think the proverb uh, in Proverbs 10 does tend to fit. Um, because I think I might have said this last week because I've, I've known people who talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and they talk. And, and just when you think they're about ready to, you know, just you, you think it's safe to go in the water again, they continue to talk all the more. Um, and what I've found about a lot of those people that I've known personally, they, they make, they don't make decisions that are really wise. And, and I think the term is they live in their own silo. In other words, they, they basically, the only person they really ever hear is their echo chamber. And, and so, which is, and as I mentioned this, I think two, two Wednesday nights ago, when we gather, who, who here does the most talking? Um, anyway. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, uh, Proverbs 15, 2 says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. But the mouth of the fools pours forth foolishness. Proverbs fifteen two, and we might I might have shared I did share with you guys last week because um, we we started to dip into this a little bit last week. In Luke eighteen, we have the contrast between the tax collector and the Pharisee and their praying, and the Pharisee prayed thirty three words, and the tax collector prayed how many? Seven, which I find fascinating, but he prayed seven words. Um, and Jesus said, who went away justified? The guy who prayed 
God have mercy on me, a sinner. Period. Yeah, seven words. Um, and so, Proverbs seventeen twenty seven and 28 also undergirds this. And it says, he who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. So, something to consider. But we see this in the New Testament. We see this with the apostles. And I, I, I did some digging around, because when I think of the apostles and I think of making vows, who do you think of? Do you think of any of them? Peter. Peter. But also James and John. But in a little bit different context with James and John. Mark chapter 10. And it... Uh, <clears throat> Mark chapter 10 is interesting because it's the, in some respects, it's the saga of the Jewish mother, too. I'm going to turn there and read, read it to you. Mark is a little bit different context. In other uh, Gospels, it, it shows that James and John, actually, it, appears that they put their mother up or their mother was behind this. But in, in Mark, it just says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Now, remember, Mark is very brief in, in his descriptions. Um, but the <coughs> James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, think about that for a moment. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Or let's, I'm going to take a little liberty with this. Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So that right there is a baptism. That's an indicator of a baptism of foolishness. Perhaps. Not always. Because when I pray, do I expect God to... Answer, do what I've asked. Do you? Do you, would you or just you throw it out there and throw caution to the wind and whatever happens, happens. When I pray, I'm hoping God's going to answer my prayers. Um, interesting in that because I felt like there was a time where I had a backlog of a lot of unanswered prayer. You ever felt that way? Right? And, you know, it's like you almost want to pull one out of the, off the, where you have it filed somewhere and, you know, put it out before the Lord again. And it's, it's, and that challenged me because I had to re-think and re-study my understanding of what prayer really is about. But nonetheless, you have not because you ask not James, right? You have not because you ask not or you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lips. And so 
James and John, they say to Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Um, I am in Mark 10, verse 36. 36. Yep. Mark 10, 36. And uh, so they say to Jesus, verse 37, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and one and the other on your left in your glory. Well, that's quite a request. Did they, you have to wonder what was going on in their heads on this one, because did they think if they asked Jesus first that they would be first in line for this, that nobody else had even thought about this before? Um, But what does it mean for him to come in his glory or to be in his glory? They didn't understand it. They had no idea what they were asking. Jesus says, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. Do they even know what he's talking about? They have no idea what he's talking about. Do they understand what it means to be on the left and the right hand when he, in his glory? Which is where? The cross. And he had someone on his left, and he had left, and he had someone on his right. Um, and so this idea of we are able is like making a vow. Because they're, you know, at... at Now, they didn't go through the formality that we all learned in elementary school when you would say, I swear to God, right? Which is, you know, you'd always throw that in if nobody believed you. And, of course, in elementary school, nobody believed anybody, at least where I grew up anyway. But, um, and so they said that we are able. And so Jesus said to them, verse 39, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared, which I find fascinating. So it had nothing to do with being first in asking. And it says when the ten heard it, they, were, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John, no doubt. And Jesus then used, and I'm not going to go further into this, but Jesus uses this occasion um, to share with them, really nailing it down, at least in the Gospel of Mark, in verse 45, where it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So they made really a stupid vow of things that, I don't think they had a clue what was going on. And one of them, James, becomes the first apostle martyr. The other one, John, is the one who outlives all the rest of the uh, apostles. And the only, really the only one that wasn't martyred, although it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, but he... Tradition tells us that he, he died at a very 
very old age uh, and was the only one um, who wasn't martyred. So um, then there's another circumstance. And somehow I got twisted around in my notes. There we go. Okay. Um, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. One of my favorite apostles, and it's Peter. Right around verse uh, 31, but I may back up a little bit. Okay, so the setting, it's um, after the Lord's, the first communion, after the Lord's Supper, if you will, uh, not long before Jesus is arrested. And verse 31, where the Lord says to Simon, 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 indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now that that verse is just chocked full of prophetic um, declarations about the life of Peter. And so I prayed for you because Satan wants to sift you as wheat. And that should have made him nervous. That should have made him at least somewhat afraid. Uh, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. In other words, Jesus now has intervened for him. He has interceded for him that your faith should not fail. Uh, But when you return, so what's that implying? That his faith failed. So he, uh, he didn't really like hearing that, did he? Um. But this is the same guy who, in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asked the disciples, who is it that you say that I am? And Peter steps up and says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he uses a play on words in the Greek to say, upon this rock, that is this confession, I will build my church. And... Then the very next chapter, Jesus begins to talk about how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die under the hands of sinful men. And, and then so Peter says what? He says, not so, Lord. So the, 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 that's the first oxymoron that's recorded in the Bible, I think. Not so, Lord, right? And so Jesus says to him, and he actually wasn't even speaking to him, I don't believe. But he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. For you have the, th- on, on, you know, you're focused on the things of the world and things of the earth, not on the things of God. And, um, which really must have been a huge setback for him. So to hear this again from Jesus, and then, so Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Verse 33. So so here you have another one of the apostles who has no idea what he's talking about. But because he can't remain silent. And I think silence often is a it's really a self-control thing. 
And the, the best thing that could have been said about Peter right here was, and Peter kept his mouth shut. Um, and he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both the prison and the death. And then Jesus says to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And Peter wasn't real happy about that. But then again, we know the story, right? Before the rooster crowed, he denies the Lord three times. But when he returned, and the end of John covers this, when he returned, his calling was to strengthen the brethren. So even in, in our um, foolish renderings, Maybe that's it. What? Foolish renderings. Um, it's just really weird about when these type of studies come thinking that at least the uh, the seven of us probably on Sunday we won't say a word to anybody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and uh, but nonetheless, there is redemption and there's grace in that. So James talks about this, and James, I'm not going to touch on everything that James says because. He talks a lot about the tongue. Um, but one of the things that James says, that says in verse 19 of the first chapter of the book of James, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, we like to reverse that. We are quick to wrath, quick to speak, and we don't always listen well. And so it, <clears throat> again, the rashness of, because out of the abundance of, Jesus said, I, I just thought of this, I should have put that in my notes too. But Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And so, um, have you ever found yourself talking don't answer this. Okay. Have you ever found yourself talking and all of a sudden you realize that you do not even know how to end your own conversation? I've heard about this. And uh, people have told me that they've experienced this, right? Yeah? Oh, a friend. But not you. No, no. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, boy. I knew, a, in, we all grew up in church together, but I knew a, a guy that, and this was weird because these guys acted like they were friends. And he made up a motorcycle part right? He made up a weird name. I can't even remember. Actually, if I did remember, I would be almost embarrassed to tell you what it was. But he, he made up a pretend motorcycle part that enhanced the performance of his motorcycle. And he said, uh, yeah, I've got one of those. He goes, you got one of those on your bike? To this guy. And he goes, oh, yeah, I got one on my left side. And uh, then they finally, he says to him, there was no such thing as. Anyway, but 
life in Southern California. But nonetheless, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Um, let's move on in Ecclesiastes. So when you make a vow, do not delay to pay it. Which he is focusing from Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. If I can get there. Deuteronomy is also known as the second law. So this part of Torah, which again was binding to the Jews. And it says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, you shall not be sinned. Or it shall not be sin to you. If you abstain from vowing, it will not be sin to you. That which is gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So, what does that tell us? That God takes what you say seriously? I think it. I think, among other things, I think that um, what Scripture tells us that we will give account for every word. Um, oh boy! <laughs> you know, so when you think about this, thank God for His mercy. But but uh, Solomon repeats this here, and he says, "So when you make a vow, do not delay to re- to pay it." For he has no pleasure in fools. What is Solomon saying here? That to make a vow and to not repay it is foolishness. And I might, I would love to have footnoted this. Basically, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's probably a, a duck. And so this is one of the earmarks of people who are foolish. And um, and I, I've seen this with folks before. Of course, nobody here. Nobody here in this church, even, right? Uh, my last church, right? But you learn to take certain people with a grain of salt, don't you? And because they, they have a way of, of, of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which can give you an indication of what people are like. But I think primarily, and I think that's true, but I think primarily that is given to us by the Lord because it should serve as a mirror to us. 
so that we learn a little bit more self-regulation. And I mean, even, so let's, let's step out of the vow just for a second. Okay, just for a second. One of the things that we also need to be careful of is that we don't cast our pearls before swine. Sermon on the Mount talks about this. And <clears throat> without going into details, I, I, I found that that really can happen in a new myriad, a numerous amount of different ways where we're basically, and, and what I found with, with some people that, you know, they like talking to the pastor. Now, they don't really want to learn anything. But they like the idea of talking about spiritual things. And maybe just by sheer of being in that conversation, they will learn some things. But there is never a heart change. So they remain in the status that uh, Solomon is talking about. You know, as it is so much more than just learning the Bible as important as learning the Bible is. And I have been around, again, nobody here. Maybe people who, well, never mind. Yeah, we'll call them my last church anyway. Um, but all of a sudden, th- th- people will say something that's like, wow, you, you really, you might have learned some Bible, but you, you haven't been transformed. You're still the same person you were when you walked in the door however long ago, you know? And so... Um, the idea when God puts up a mirror and gives these things to us in Scripture to use as a mirror is intended for us to be transformed. And it's easy, and I'm not picking on you, okay? All right, but, but you open the door for me. It's easy to say there's a guy I know, right? I mean, that's really, we all do it, right? Okay, so we're not really going to pick on Jeff, but there's a guy I know right over here. See, I'm doing the same thing to you that you did to this guy, right? But... Uh, because that's how we're that's how we're built. But the thing is, the blessing about that guy was maybe he taught you what not to be. I mean, really. And I mean, one of the the blessings that we had. Uh, I was an assistant pastor at a church before this one, and we ran for our lives. And. He'll never listen, so I don't, I'm not going to tell you where and I won't tell you his name. But anyway, but it was an incredibly good teaching experience, but it was very costly, very painful. Um, and, and so God has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vowed, better not to vow than to vow and to pay. Or not pay. But what's interesting about this, and we're, getting, we're zeroing in, and I don't think we're going to get there this next Sunday, but God so loved the fools. He does. God so loved the fools that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
so, again, what's undergirding, not so much here in Ecclesiastes, but, but knowing what we've read, particularly in the gospel stories with James and with John and with Peter, there's this incredible amount of grace that undergirds even their foolishness. And, you know, part of why I love Peter so much is because Peter was not quite smart enough to not say what everybody else was thinking. And, you know, he would just say it anyway. Um, So, do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Now, that could be, I'm going to, this is a hard one. Because when we think of the flesh, I think often it is that our mind goes to what we read in Paul's letters, right? And I touched on this on Sunday. Because our mind goes to the idea of the flesh is evil, the flesh is the evil nature, the flesh is the things of the world. And remember, John used, I talked about this on Sunday, John uses the flesh the designation or the term the flesh differently. He's mainly referring to just us as natural people. Okay, so and so I think that, that there's a, a little bit of a dichotomy here, a little bit of, of, of a contrast here in, in verse 6. Follow me on this. Because, again, when we get foolish... All right, now again, none of you here, right? But when we as people get foolish, particularly as Christians, we want to baptize our foolishness. So we're getting all high and mighty and all spiritual by what we say, but our natural, what, don't, don't let your, do not let your mouth cause your natural person to sin. That's what I think he's saying. So, This is at times our attempt to come across more spiritually than we really are. Because there are two things about our spirituality that are true. One, you are not as spiritual as everybody else thinks you are, right? And second of all, you are not as spiritual as you think you are. But again, you have to start somewhere. And you have to, you have to, you have to work with, with what you got, right? We all do. Um, and so when we when we try to make these religious vows and 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 come across so holy and sanctimonious, that's when we can cause our natural person to sin. See, that's what he, you follow. What I'm saying here, okay. Um, Nor say before the messenger of God. Now, messenger. Do you have messenger of God in the ESV? NIV. Do you have messenger of God? I'm sorry, Donnie, I couldn't quite. Temple messenger. Mary, what do you got in, in the new, S, new ASB? Um, six. Okay. Jeff, do you have New King or King James tonight? Okay. Right. Messenger of God. Notice of God is in italics. Because it's not in the original Hebrew. All of what we just read through the different translations is an interpretation of what this is saying. We're not really sure what the messenger is. 
Is it God? Is it an angel? Is it the priest, a messenger of the temple? Uh, that, that, uh, that was another thought. Um, is it a prophet? Um, we don't know. There, there just really isn't enough here for us to land on and understand exactly what this messenger is, who is referring to. But nor say to the messenger of God or the messenger of the temple or the prophet or the priest uh, that it was an error. In other words, I, that was a mistake. I didn't really mean to promise to give half my income. I knew a guy that, that this was really, we were actually talking about him tonight. This was back in the 70s, right, mid-70s, back when nobody made any money, right, but we could still be able to pay our bills, right? And he decided that he was supposed to give God 50% of his income for a period of time. I don't know how long. And he was in between churches. He was pastor, but he was in between churches. And, and he had two or three kids, at, at, I think two, you know, and, but he decided to give God 50% of his income. And it was just a thing between him and God. He didn't tell me about this, by the way. I, I heard about it from one of his brothers. And the, the, the interesting thing about it is within about a three-month period of time, his income had doubled, which I thought was fascinating. Um, this guy had an incredible, what? Yeah. And I'll bless you. Yes, it's really the only command that comes with the promise. And, um, and so, but it was a vow he made and it was a vow he fulfilled. But notice it says, why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? See, that's kind of the opposite of the little story I just told you. When you make a vow and then you decide, okay, I, I don't really mean this. It's, again, it's like the farmer who said, bad news, honey, the Lord's calf just died. You know, um, for in the multitude of dreams, it takes us back to verse 3. And many words, there is vanity. Um, there are a lot of modern-day vernaculars that I could use to express that. And we won't, especially, again, most of us being in the military, we, they're probably running through all of our heads, and I won't go there with you, right? Except for Bill, of course, right? Because <laughs> Bill's really, I noticed that Bill's really silent tonight. <laughs> <coughs> He's such a wise man. Anyway. But fear God. Because the thing is, is, is when you're busy running around trying to uh, substantiate your silly little dreams, A, and then tell them. You know, and part of this, I think, kind of leans back a little bit when we were in the book of Romans. When it says, if you have liberty, have it to yourself. Right? You don't need to be telling everybody everything that you're doing, you know. Um, and, mo- and we don't. Most of us don't, right? Um, but this, this, I think what he is hammering on here in verse 7 is that person who has all these dreams has to tell everybody and then has to continually to keep everybody on the edge of, guess what I'm going to do next week? You know what I mean? 
some of you are smiling because you probably are thinking of people who you might have had this conversation with. I don't know, right? Um, but the alternative is, and I mean this nicely, I do. But I think the alternative here is shut up and fear God. Instead of worrying about what you look like to others. And then when the ship doesn't come in, when the dreams don't come true, when, when, when your, uh, your sense of, of adventure and your sense of dream is way beyond your ability to commit and make these things happen, instead of trying to justify that, which, by the way, most people are very amused by that, <laughs> um, just fear God. Because, and I read it last night, Proverbs chapter 1, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think it's around verse 7. Um, it's for fun, I'll look at it, we'll be done. But, the, and Tim's not here to, it is 7, thank you, Bill. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, I'm going to close with this, but I want to, I again, I want some feedback. What does it mean to fear God, and why does that create wisdom in your life? Any thoughts on that? So, you're kind of narrowing your behavior, narrowing your focus, and, and not doing the things that he has said don't do, Right? We do. And I'm gonna, I may answer this next question for you unless you would like to answer it, but it's, I'm, this, is for, this is in the corner. This is where I'm trying to paint you into a corner, but not really. So why does that stuff beget wisdom? She just got out of the corner. You're right. If you're not talking, you're listening. Yeah. My thought on that is if you're not talking, then you can hear the invitation, right? And to be instructed. And I shouldn't tell you this, but I will. And I can always delete this later, right? There have almost been times that I've watched folks and I can almost hear God saying to me, do you see this? Do you want to be like that idiot? You know? And then there are other times that I'm around folks that God says, do you hear this? Don't you want to be like that person? You know, and again, this idea of obedience, this idea of walking in the ways of God, this idea of, of not, not straying beyond these boundaries sets you in a place where you're able to hear. Oh, goodness. Do you guys ever go to, anybody went to one of those churches? We did. And it's like, get out of here. <laughs> I don't have two dimes to rub together. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, 
This idea of fear and reverence, it goes back even to verse 4. When you make a vow, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Um, so that, that's a, a good parameter in which to live by. Because if we stay within the parameters that God has given us, and I don't know why I'm going way over, but anyway, and finally, I think we're getting it somewhere with this. But if we stay within the parameters that God has given us, I think it really opens us up to really grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom.